Hey, you made it! We're here in the waiting room of the afterlife that Swedenborg called the World of Spirits. It doesn't really look like this. It's, it's not actually a room. It's this whole giant plane of existence, but this is actually a pretty good schematic for it. After death, we do stay here for a while. We actually talked about why we're here and what it's like in this episode. But it's all the elements of what it's like and what happens here. Really, it's just preparation for us to make the big choice. I don't know what you've been taught or what ideas you have about these options, but Swedenborg learned that they really are choices and not just spur of the moment choices, but a choice that is an expression of your deepest loves. But to make any choice, you've got to have a good understanding of the options, right? You've got to know what each of these actually are. So in the next two episodes, we're going to go through these doors and see for ourselves. And we're going to start with hell. So disclaimer, this is going to be a little bit creepy. After all, it's hell, the home of evil, where evil and falsity are actually portrayed visually. And we see the darker tendencies of the human heart reach their conclusion. But it's a journey that we've got to take if we're going to know the real nature of this choice. Are you ready? Well, let's go. locked. Why would that? I think it's because there are misconceptions about what hell is that are blocking our way and that actually would make us misinterpret what we saw in there if we did go through. I've always been told that if you're bad, you're sent to hell. That if I don't please God, then I'm going to be condemned to hell. Yeah, man. People go to hell, burn in hellfire eternally. And if burning in hellfire wasn't enough, you're also tortured eternally, too. Wow, you guys really hit the nail on the head with that. Those are some really intense ideas about hell that a lot of people do have, but according to Swedenborg, that's incorrect. It's misleading and causes all kinds of misinformation and fear around the idea of God and life after death. So before we go and explore hell, We've got to clear that up. Are you guys all right with hanging out for a minute while we try to sort that out? Uh, sure. Okay, yeah, that should be interesting. Okay, cool. And hopefully this is helpful for all of you too because we're going to back up and look at the principles of how and why something like a hell could exist, but also take a look at how we could be opening and closing these doors in our own minds all the time. So we're here talking about hell. Mm. It's a bit of a minefield, isn't mm. it? Totally. Like, it seems so hard to square with the idea of a loving God. Yeah, but what if that's just if you don't understand it? Mm. Swedenborg offers what I think is the most convincing concept of what we call hell, mm. and it's one that once you grasp the underlying dynamics of play, it may be exactly what you'd expect from a loving God. Whoa, you think so? It seems like a tall order. It is, but 
we've got Swedenborg's accounts to help us make sense of it all. And he gives us so much detail about hell that we can actually use his experiences to travel to hell in this show and see what it's like for ourselves. It's true, but before we journey into the realm itself, we've really got to address those misconceptions about hell. Otherwise, what we see there could actually make people's fears worse. Right, and as we heard, there are three main misconceptions. Mm. You're condemned there, you burn there, and you suffer there. Mm. Those are certainly the three biggies, I'd say. So how should we go about this? Well, let's, let's tackle the first one together, and okay. then maybe you take the second one and I'll take the third. Sounds good, sounds good. All right, shake on it. Okay. Okay, so first, can you be condemned to hell? Um, no. No one is sent to hell. Swedenborg explains that we actually do have the choice between heaven and hell. No one goes there against their will. If someone's in hell, they've chosen it willingly, but he says. Who would ever do that? Uh, yeah, I know. And, and, and not only that, but he also says that because of what they love, those people actually can't stand heaven. Swedenborg writes this in Heaven and Hell 548. The Lord is leading every spirit toward himself through angels, every spirit, mm -hmm. and through an inflow from heaven. But spirits who are absorbed in evil resist strenuously and virtually tear themselves away from the Lord. They're drawn by their evil, by hell that is, as though it were a rope. And because they're drawn and want to follow because of their love of evil, it follows that they freely cast themselves into hell. So this is just like what we talked about in our previous episode, what happens immediately after you die. Everyone's actually drawn to heaven at first because the Lord wants everybody to be in heaven. But we then choose what distance from God is the best for us. Mm. Yes, and that's according to what we love. We feel freest when we get to do what we love, but there are loves, or you really have to call them cravings, that are opposed to the love that God is. And so those can't be in the same place spiritually since everything in the spiritual world is organized by love. So Swedenborg will still use the language sometimes of being cast into hell and that sort of thing. But it's not God, it's what we've chosen to love the most that actually does that casting. He also writes of people being taken up into heaven. And in that case too, it's what we've chosen to love the most that lifts us up there. And Swedenborg describes it this way when he's talking about people choosing hell. He says, they are entering voluntarily, and the ones who are doing so out of a burning desire for evil look as though they were diving in head first. Mm. This is why it looks as though they were being thrown into hell by divine power. Wow, he even explains why it looks that way. Mm. But the Lord does not throw anyone into hell. We throw ourselves in, check this out, not only while we're living in this world, but after death as well, when we arrive among spirits. So that means that by the time anyone is choosing hell, they've gotten entirely clear that living out evil intentions is their highest delight. Mm -hmm. You can't just be half interested and go to hell. You have to be all in. So the nature of the spiritual world itself protects against people doing anything randomly like that. Mm -hmm. Putting it in somewhat technical terms, Swedenborg writes this, everyone in heaven is focused on what is true for the sake of the good. And everyone in hell, this blanket statement, is focused on what is false for the sake of what is evil. This is because no one is led into heaven until she or he is focused on what is true for the sake of good, and no one, no one is cast into hell until she or he is focused on what is false for the sake of what is evil. So let me see if I can translate that a bit. So somebody choosing hell 
That's the outcome of that person choosing consciously and being totally committed to, with mm -hmm. their whole heart, uh, to some kind of lie that justifies something that they want to do that they right. know right. hurts people. Th that has to be your whole MO before you can get clearance for going <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, that's a funny way to put it. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you want. So you're not condemned to hell. You, instead, what was really happening in that situation is you love what is evil and false. Those are the conditions that make us seek out hell because uh, of our own accord, because we want to. Mm. And, and if you're going to seek out hell, that means you also have to be rejecting what God and what heaven is, which according to Swedenborg is thoughtfulness toward other people, a willingness to, to serve, altruistic actions. So those two don't get along and you have to pick which one you really like. Mm. So we've got, awesome. we got one down and two to go. Are you ready mm. to tackle the hellfire question? Sure, I'm on it. Our next misconception to tackle is you burn there. How many pamphlets and cartoons have you seen about hell being a fiery pit? And the Bible's imagery, if you take it too literally, plays into this as well. A key to addressing this misconception is to understand how things appear in the spiritual world. Everything you see there has meaning, and the meaning is a direct result of the feelings and thoughts of the spirits. Fire in general corresponds to love. It can appear in the spiritual world either from a heavenly altruistic origin or a hellish self-focused one. When heavenly, it's because angels are open to love and wisdom from the Lord, and so their faces can seem to have the glow of the sun. When it's hellish, it's a symbol of a passion for being in control from a sense of self-importance. So auras in hell can appear like various kinds of ominous fires. Any burning that appears to be in hell is a reflection of the hearts and minds of individuals there. Simply put, a definition Swedenborg gives is, hellfire means all the craving to do evil that flows from love for oneself. When everyone in hell is there because they've made evil the chief joy of their lives, the people burn with hatred there. It's not that they're burning in a fire made to torture them. This is an important nuance. And Swedenborg continues, everyone in hell cherishes hatred toward others in her or his heart and bursts out into savagery whenever there's the strength to do so. These acts of savagery and torture are what are meant by hellfire because they are the result of their obsessions. But people in hell don't necessarily have the experience of a fire around them. It might look this way only when the light of heaven flows in. And the temperature feels fine to them, except when the heat of heaven flows in. The light of heaven reveals what the love there is actually like. The thing to understand is that this appearance is not coming from the outside in, it's coming from the inside out. So you don't burn in hell, you insist on acting from evil desires, and this looks and can feel like fire in the light and heat of heaven. But what happens when you have a gathering of people in a part of the spiritual world who are all determined to act on evil's desires? And now we've stepped into the territory of the third misconception, the torment in hell. 
So let's go to Curtis to dig into just what Swedenborg means by torment and punishment as an element of hellfire. So if you accept what we've put forward so far, we've established that you're not cast into hell, and the only thing that's burning in hell is the passion to act on cravings. But are people punished or tortured in hell? I can't make it totally benign and say that in Swedenborg's accounts, everyone in hell is always fine and it only looks like they're making each other miserable when the light of heaven shines in. No, but actually that wouldn't make sense. And what we're here to show you is how hell actually does make sense. Think about it. As we've already asserted, hell is full of the craving to do evil. So people are going to be trying and sometimes succeeding to do evil to each other, since wanting to do evil to people is why they chose hell in the first place. But it's really the individuals who have the controls. The choices they make about what to do dial up or down the negative things that they experience. In this divinely organized, highly regulated environment, the people there are allowed to indulge their pleasures or resist acting them out, and this lets them control their own torment, in a sense. Understanding the context of the suffering in hell, we can clarify the misconception of, you suffer there. Building on what we already covered, the meaning of the suffering in hell that we've got to understand is that it is the result of the people there being allowed to do what they love within certain limitations. The suffering or torment that occurs in hell is the product of the hatred in the hearts of the people there, and it only occurs when somebody crosses a line. This is also part of the appearance of fire there. Swedenborg writes, that same fire also means the kind of torment that occurs in the hells. This is because the impulses that arise from that love are urges to wound people who do not offer respect and deference and reverence to the extent that rage takes charge. In the hatred and vengefulness that come from rage, people are driven to attack others viciously. And this is a bit gritty, but if we're looking at the home and the culmination of evil, it's going to match the levels of darkness that we see on earth play out under the right conditions too. You think about it, everybody in hell wants to be the greatest and burns with hatred against everybody else, which is a generally, genuinely miserable scenario. We know that things like this happen on earth under the right conditions. However, you'd think that at least in the spiritual world, divine love would be able to find some kind of workaround to mitigate this endless suffering that would result from this pattern, and it has. God and the angels are constantly at work tempering and softening the drives in hell to do evil. Swedenborg writes, the angels have the hells under their control and keep all things there in check. And this ability comes from the Lord. Otherwise, the torments would be perpetual and their state extremely deplorable due to the horrendous condition in which they are. So hell is this place that the Lord allows people to be who can't tolerate the atmosphere of mutual love that's dominant in heaven, but the Lord loves every single person in hell. And so he works within the bounds of freedom to govern what would otherwise be total chaos. There's actually several layers of governing or management that each work in their own way. And Swedenborg explains. The hells overall are governed by the general flow of divine goodness and divine truth coming towards them from the heavens, which also restrains and keeps in check the general striving to flow outward from the hells. 
they are also governed by the specific flow coming towards them from each individual heaven and community of heaven. Specifically, the hells are governed by means of angels who are given the ability to look into the hells and check the insanities and riots there. Sometimes, angels are sent there and their very presence brings matters under control. In general though, all the people in the hells are governed by their fears, some by fears sown and still in place from the world. However, since these fears are not adequate and gradually weaken, they are governed through fears of punishment, which are the primary means of preventing them from doing evil. So God doesn't punish anybody, but people in hell burn with a desire to punish each other. In the spiritual world, whatever you put out comes back at you. It's spiritual law, which we did talk about in our show, is the law of attraction real. Evil spirits are allowed to attack someone who has invited that punishment through their own drives and deeds. In that moment, the attackers are acting as the agents of this spiritual law, and in this way, the Lord manages to use the evil drives of people in hell to help govern it overall. The fear of punishment is the only thing that can tame and deter the constant violence that would be happening otherwise. So divine providence is carefully balancing all of this to minimize the suffering that happens. And there's another tricky workaround that the Lord uses to lessen the torment of people that are in hell. It's the same thing that makes the joy of heaven what it is, usefulness. The Lord provides ways for the people in hell to have the opportunity to be useful or to do some kind of work that serves the larger whole. When they do this work, it relieves their suffering, but since being useful is actually opposed to what they love, they can't stand it for very long and so go back to life as they choose it. Swedenborg writes it this way, The Lord never sends anyone to hell, but wants to lead everyone out. Still less does he inflict pain. Instead, since evil spirits actually run to get there, the Lord turns all the punishment and torment to good and puts it to some use. No penalty can ever exist unless the Lord has some purpose in mind for it, because the Lord's kingdom is a realm of purpose and usefulness. But the purposes that hellish spirits can serve are ignominious. When performing those services, they are not in as much pain, but when they cease to be useful, they are returned to hell. So going back to our final misconception, you suffer there. Yes, people do suffer, but this doesn't really capture the essence of what's really going on. Evil punishes itself and God relieves suffering. So in summary, anyone in hell loves what is evil and false, insists on acting on their cravings, and when they do, they inevitably experience some suffering. But God is always at work to relieve suffering and mitigates through spiritual laws what goes on there. So, what do you guys think? That was really intense, but I can see some of what you're saying. I'm sad that anyone would choose hell, but it does help to know that everyone there is there because it's where they can act out what they crave within certain limitations. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me that hellfire is a picture of the hatred that they burn with. I mean, we use that kind of phrasing in this world. You burn with rage and hatred, but you're not actually burning. The torment there is tough to swallow, but I have to admit I get it. 
they're in control of it and they bring it upon themselves and I'm happy to know that the Lord is there tempering the suffering that goes on over them. Yeah, Swinburg actually writes that angels would gladly trade places with anyone in hell, but when you're in hell, when you're in that mindset, you don't want to leave it. Swedenborg actually has this account that he recorded where he's talking to a group of spirits from hell and they're trying to sell him on the hellish lifestyle of revenge and ego versus the heavenly one saying that hell is a better place to be. So it's fascinating that the divine allows everybody the space to live the kind of life that they want to live within certain limitations like the, the law of retaliation that we were looking at before. So if this cleared it up for them, hopefully it's helped you too. With this perspective in our minds, let's try this door to go visit hell and see what these principles look like there. Okay, I'm going in. Curtis is out exploring the world of spirits, but before we go to him, I'm going to give you a little overview of the kinds of things we'll be seeing out there. The thing to understand about the spiritual world is that everything you see here has meaning. Everything here is an expression in some way of the thoughts and feelings of the spirits here, individually, but also on a collective scale. To get you oriented, the heavens are here on the higher ground, and the world of spirits is this middle area, and Swedenborg learned that beneath both are the hells. Now, the heavens aren't actually visible to spirits in the world of spirits unless their inner sight has been opened. Instead, they often just appear like gleaming white clouds. This is because heaven's angels are in a deeper state with regard to wisdom. What you see in the spiritual world has everything to do with what you understand. So heaven is beyond the sight of people in the world of spirits unless and until their minds are opened at that inner level. Right now, Curtis is in the world of spirits here. People on this level are in this phase of gradually being let into their inner natures and becoming clear about what they really love. They can all see each other because of their similar state, but when they are nearing the point of entering either heaven or hell, the differences in their states are getting more and more pronounced. So evil spirits actually stop being able to see the good spirits. At this point, the good spirits start to see paths leading them to heaven. But how do those en route to hell get there? Like I said, the hells are underneath everything there. Swedenborg wrote, it's as if all of heaven and the world of spirits are hollowed out with one continuous hell under them. But that doesn't mean hell is the same everywhere. It's actually different depending on the particular kinds of evil the spirits there are attached to. Swedenborg explains, there is an infinite variety to everything evil just as there is to everything good. People do not grasp this if they have only simplistic concepts of particular evils like contempt, hostility, hatred, vengefulness, deceit, and the like. But they should realize that each of these contains so many distinctive forms, each of which also contains distinctive or particular forms, that a whole volume would not be adequate to list them. Now it might be a little unnerving to think that the hells are essentially everywhere below the world of spirits, but there are only certain entry points which Swedenborg called gates, and the opening and closing of these is very highly regulated. Also, it's worth pointing out, they are only connected to the world of spirits and none connect to heaven. Swedenborg writes how they aren't even noticeable unless they open. Hey, based on our map, it looks like Curtis is very near one. Let's go to his feed and see what he's seeing. How's it going? So you're saying that the entrances to hell are everywhere? And they could even be like any of these things I'm seeing in the world of spirits? Yeah. 
Swedenborg explains how they open and can be seen only when an evil spirit is entering one. But you have that Light of Heaven flashlight, right? You mean the Kylie Lux Magna ES2000 custom made by Swedenborg Foundation Labs? I sure do. That's the one. I think you can use that to reveal where the gates are. Try shining it on things and see what you find. Okay, let's try this. Whoa, do you see that? It looks like soot coming up from a chimney. Interesting. Soot or ash from a fire means the distortions of truth that come from self-centeredness. Fascinating. Okay, what else? Ah! I didn't even shine my light on that one. What was that? Hmm, my guess is that's a gate opening for an evil spirit to enter. Watch out and see if someone is coming. Oh, I'm so curious. Whoa! Chelsea, it looked like his face was made of teeth. Is that possible? Oh, that must be a correspondence. The face represents a person's internal state, especially the quality of their faith and charity. And teeth are made of bone. Bone is usually a symbol of truth, or its opposite, falsity. To be nothing but teeth is symbolic of a kind of lifelessness, lacking love for others. Swedenborg wrote of seeing people with faces like that, and he learned that they particularly enjoy depriving people of any understanding of goodness and truth, while they themselves have no principles of life. All evil spirits don't look that way, do they? No, they can all look very different. Swedenborg described seeing all kinds of faces. Some he saw looked like corpses, some like fiery torches, some have diseased-looking faces. In many cases, they are even just faceless, or in place of a face, there is something hairy or bony. He writes, Their bodies are equally misshapen, and their speech seems to embody wrath or hatred or vengeance, since all their articulation comes from their false perception, and all the tone comes from their evil intent. In a word, they are all images of their hell. Fascinating. Doesn't that freak them out? Well, actually, they don't even experience it this way. Swedenborg explains that hellish spirits only look this way in heaven's light. From mercy, the Lord makes it so that they look human to each other. Heaven's light makes things appear as they really are. This is partly why hellish spirits avoid heaven's light. They prefer the way things look in hell without it. Then they can live in the fantasies of their distorted thinking. If any light of heaven shines in, then those fantasies suddenly disappear, and instead, the quality of the evil they live in is revealed. Swedenborg explains, Seen in any of heaven's light, all the spirits in the hells appear in the form of their own evil. Each one is, in fact, an image of her or his evil. Since for each individual, the inner and outer natures are acting as a unit, with the deeper elements presenting themselves to view in the outer ones, in the face, the body, the speech, and the behavior. So you can tell what they are like by looking at them. In general, they are forms of contempt for others, threats against people who do not revere them. They are forms of various shadings of hatred or various forms of vengefulness. Savagery and cruelty show through from within. Wow, that's amazing. So people in hell really look monstrous, but the Lord lets them live in a kind of normalcy. To them, they seem to be living a normal kind of life. They don't look like monsters, and the temperature even feels decent to them. Even though, in the light of heaven, you can see how abnormal their condition is. So I could go into this hell and see that? Yeah, I think for the purpose of educating people about it, you'll be allowed to enter. It really does look pretty normal in here. Let's see what happens. 
Okay, probably not on the best places to live list. Okay, a skeleton. Now, if I'm catching on here, a skeleton would mean something less than human. And what is human is really the marriage of love and wisdom. So have the people here somehow rejected that in their life? Exactly. In one of Swedenborg's spiritual experiences, he describes people becoming skeleton-like when they've thoroughly rejected marriage love. What about the other hells? I'm sure they don't all look the same. That's right. Every community in hell is unique. Swedenborg described seeing ones that looked like the dens of wild animals, or like caverns. Some looked like crypts or mines going deep into the earth. Some he saw looked like dark forests with wild beasts, and others like desert spaces with cliffs. Again, all a reflection of the different harmful desires of the spirits there. Well, I think I've had enough. It's time to leave this place and head back. Okay, be safe out there. So we're getting near the end of the show, but I gotta say, it's intense to witness what is in hell. Like, I, I get it, it's objectively amazing to hear about how God manages it, but I wish, I feel like I wish there was something I could do. Like, how can I slow it down or, or somehow make less of this whole hell thing, you know? Mm. I hear you, I hear you. And actually, I think there is something that you can do, and it turns out that this world is just the right place to do it. Really? Okay, so what do you mean? Well, you can resist fueling hell, and I mean everybody, right now by resisting hell's influence on your heart and mind. All right, that sounds good. So how would that work? Well, it's amazing, but if you're doing the work in your own life, that actually helps bit by bit to free the human race from hell. And it even helps those who are in hell because you're not feeding them the destructive feelings that they're addicted to. So like with all addictive substances, getting that rush that they get from hatred or greed or revenge may feel good to them in the moment, but it actually brings more suffering and chaos overall. So reducing those negative spiritual substances can even bring more peace to hell. Oh, I never would have thought about it like that. So, so I can't change the, the choices people in hell have made, but right, I can right. give less destructive fuel to hell mm. to tamp, tamp things down there. And I could give hell less access to people in the world through me. Yes, and a side benefit is that by doing that, you're actually already joining the team that's mitigating the suffering in hell, even now while you're in this world. So you're choosing to be part of the solution, and that really helps. You're talking about you know, linking up with the angels. That's right, right. right, because it's, it's not that it's the angels against hell, you know, and who's gonna win. The angels are actually working all the time to make hell better for the people there. So by getting myself in harmony with their efforts, I can be contributing to that solution. Mm. Mm. Okay, thanks for the pep mm. talk, I, I needed that. So it feels good to sort of recenter myself in some kind of positive perspective that, that something can be done. All right, so I think I'm ready to return now. I'm so glad. All right, we did it. Hell is a pretty intense place, but I hope the principles that we laid out for you give you helpful context for understanding this model of how hell works, what it's really like, and why anyone would choose to be there. And what I feel like is most important, how we can help relieve the hell stuff that's going on right now. So we've explored this part of the afterlife, but there's another door. What if you don't choose selfishness? What if we choose to resist our inclinations to greed or hostility or callousness? When we do, we're opening our inner self to heaven. We're connecting to love 
and altruism and truth, but what's it like to actually live there? Next episode, we'll take a look around. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we share all the content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving, to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider joining our community of sustaining supporters by signing up to give a monthly donation. Go to otle.cosvox.com and follow the prompts to set up a recurring donation at a value of your choice. Any amount helps. Our sustaining supporters are the backbone of what we do at Off the Left Eye and allow us to continue to create high quality programming. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every week around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins.